The United Methodist People Podcast, episode number 11, with Reverend Rob Fuquay from St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis and the author of A New Reformation. I'm Gregory Vaughn Palmer, Bishop of the West Ohio Conference of the United Methodist Church, and I want to thank you for connecting to the United Methodist People podcast with the Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, where he he, and we are doing all the good that we can. The hope of the United Methodist Church is being willing to die and Mm -hmm. say preserving our future is not our call. Our call is Christ. And by letting go of just keeping things as they are, we might discover the future God has for us. Welcome to the United Methodist People Podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to accomplishing the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The United Methodist People Podcast helps clergy and church leaders connect with key insights hear inspiring stories, and learn from the people making a difference in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. And now, here's Brad. Hello, my good friend, and welcome to the United Methodist People Podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. So glad you've chosen to lend me your ears today as we have this journey in faith together as United Methodist Christians and following our beloved United Methodist Church. This podcast is all about strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. I'm a longtime elder in the United Methodist Church Indiana Conference, serve churches of various sizes, have been involved with podcasting and radio for some time as well. And I believe this is the meeting where we can talk and be together and to share some of the things that are going on in our United Methodist Church about the people of the United Methodist Church. So today we are going to be talking with Reverend Rob Fuquay, who's the author of A New Reformation. But most importantly today, we're going to be talking about his faith journey and about uh, things going on in our United Methodist Church, particularly our how we are accomplishing our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, and his views on the way forward. But what we're about here is to offer you resources and ways that you can strengthen your connection and understanding this world that we live in, United Methodist Church, right now. We live in changing times, don't we? And it's a challenge for all of us as we look forward to the General Conference of February 2019. But we all, a lot of that is precipitated by changes in our culture, say changes in society, changes in our world, and therefore changes in our churches. And we have contraction in some of our churches, we have cultural shifts, we have all kinds of things going on which are challenging us right now. Run across a resource that I just thought has been helpful to me and I thought it might be helpful to you. I just wanted to introduce you to it. Uh, a book I'm reading right now called Canoeing the Mountains by Todd Bolsinger, uh, professor at Fuller Seminary out in California. And uh, just uh, it's a resource that you might want to check out, especially if you're really interested in what's going on in this changing nature of our world right now and how that impacts all of us and how we need to be increasingly more relevant in a changing culture 
culture that is just downright hostile to the church at times. And that Christianity is different now, isn't it? And just uh, just lift up uh, two chapters for you in this book, which I think are pertinent. Well, first of all, the theme of the book called Canoeing Up the Mountains is about the, the metaphor that's used is about Lewis and Clark when they set out from St. Louis to discover a passage that would basically open up the western frontier to America. They, their intention was to find a water passage of the Missouri River to eventually the Pacific Ocean. But they ran into this little hurdle along the way. It was called the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> there's no actual water passage, of course, over the Rocky Mountains to the west, uh, to the west coast. And so they were canoeing their canoes and other things, going up the rivers and so on, and they could not uh, just canoe to the Pacific Ocean. So they ended up literally carrying and having to adjust and portage and all kinds of things, getting through the mountains. Thus, the phrase canoeing the mountains meant that they had to change dramatically in order to accomplish their ultimate goal of having a passage to the Pacific Ocean. A lot of us know that story a little bit from our American history, but it's hard to imagine in our heads around what all those adjustments needed to be made. And Bolsinger is making the point that the church right now basically can up the mountain, you know, that we are dealing with a changing culture and we got to change. We've got to change our tactics and our strategies and our approach and to, you know, recalibrate as it were. And uh, just a couple chapters to lift up in the book, which I thought were interesting. Uh, one chapter is basically about how the seminary didn't prepare me for this. I graduated from Garrett's Evangelical in, two, in uh, 1983, and there was no class then about what the church is going to be like in the year 2018. That's for sure. You know, there was some you know basic foundational stuff that many of us learned in seminary or in college or in classes or whatever it would be. You know, biblical studies, church uh, administration studies, theology, uh, you know, counseling te- uh, counseling uh, approaches and techniques. That's all good. But we, all have, we have to be understand that right now we have a world that needs a whole different way. And sometimes we've been tempted to use the approach that just doing what we've always done better or deeper or harder is going to work. That just isn't the case anymore. It just isn't the case. And we have to go we're going off the map as we know it. That's what Lewis and Clark did. And so the maps that we had in seminary oftentimes just don't work. Also, those maps that we have on our local church traditions and our, and our understandings, even on our annual conferences and the ways we've done things as clergy and appointments and the way the church is structured, simply don't work anymore. It doesn't mean they're bad or wrong. It's just that they their time has come and gone and we need new approaches. So there was that part of the book I thought was interesting, kind of set the foundation. And one other piece that I, that I, that struck me was he has a chapter about how a nursing mother saved America. It's about the 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 woman Sacagawea, who was the guide, the Native American guide, who helped get Lewis and Clark through the frontier, and uh, it's as uh, as Bolsinger says in his book that she was the only one who wasn't lost. So it seems to me, friends, if we're going to be good leaders in our church right now, we got to learn from the people who we are, uh, you know, who are already on the forefront of understanding our culture, understanding what's going on, and learn from them. So the people I learned from, for instance, are my three adult children. One's in their 30s, and two of them are in their 20s. And I have a grandchild who's less than a year old. Learning from them about what they are involved with and what they care about, how they care about people, 
of all different uh, colors and nationalities and, and sexual orientation and and uh, and political uh, political views. They care about that deeply, and they're not as uh, and they understand that this is a, a a world that needs a lot more acceptance and so on. And sometimes we just don't have enough of that in our churches, and we need to learn from that. I'm trying to learn from those people. And I think the point that Bolsinger is trying to make in his book is we've got to learn from the people who uh, who are out there on the forefront and to learn from them. I, I think it's a pretty good resource. It's got a, a study guide with it as, as well, and you may want to check that out. as be helpful in understanding our culture and how the church is in a different day and age and how we need to move forward. In, in faith, Still, be, you know, God is still God, right? God is still God. And even as we have uh, issues in our own United Methodist Church we have to deal with, uh, God is still God. And be, well, there are different ways to traverse and navigate the world that we live in right now. So you may want to check out the resource. I'll put some links uh, to it in our show notes. What the United Methodist People podcast is about being helpful to you to help strengthen the connection. If you like what we're about here, uh, tell others about it. Network with your uh, people in your life, in your social networks, and so on. If you can go over to iTunes and to subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star rating, if you will, and maybe leave us a line or two review. That's helpful for other people to find us as well. Our website is unitedmethodistpodcast.com. You can go over there and you can see some of our our past issue or past episodes of the podcast. We've been doing a series of messages, series of interviews with some of the bishops in our United Methodist Church, getting their take on the way forward. For instance, you may want to check out our series there of, uh, of messages. And we also have a free gift for you. Uh, it's called the the uh, Wesleyan Way. It's a it's a uh, multimedia presentation, uh, PowerPoint presentation that you might find helpful in your ministry. You can check that out. United Methodist Podcast dot com. My name is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, and I love to talk to people who are making an impact in our church. One of those people who I've got to know in the last several years is Reverend Rob Fuquay. He's the senior pastor at the St. Luke's United Methodist Church, one of our larger United Methodist churches in our country, and uh, certainly the largest one in the state of Indiana. And uh, and he has been pastor there for about seven years, prior to that pastoring in North Carolina. He's written several resources. His latest resource is called The New Reformation. It is a, a, a book about from uh, Luther's world to ours, a lot about what we've been talking about here, changes in the church. He's got several other resources which can be also used as a church campaign resources. Our primary focus today, though, is going to be about the nature of our church right now, the nature of what's going on in our church. And so I, I think you're going to appreciate this conversation that Rob and I have about his personal faith and about his uh, understanding of our mission as a church and about the way forward. So let's get into our conversation with Reverend Rob Fuquay right now. Welcome back to the United Methodist People podcast with Brad Miller. We are here today, and we are uh, pleased to have as our guest today on the United Methodist People podcast, Reverend Rod, Rob Fuquay, who's the pastor of one of our larger United Methodist churches in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's St. Luke's United Methodist Church, where he's the lead pastor, senior pastor. He's also the author of several books and, and church uh, campaigns, including the most recent one, Which Way, Lord?, so we're glad to have you with us today on the United Methodist Podcast, Rob. 
Great. Thanks, Brad. Good to be with you again. Uh, yeah. It's we've, been a few years since we we've, did this. We've done this before, and I appreciate you taking some time with us. As we, uh, What we're all about here on the United Methodist People Podcast is trying to strengthen the connection through conversation yeah. and commentary. And I know that uh, you and I have had some conversations recently, and I know you've been in conversation with folks about you know, what's going on in, in, in our church, but I'd like to start at a little more basic level first. Let's hear about you a little bit in terms of your faith journey. How did you come to Christ in the first place, and then what led you into ministry and eventually to St. Sure, Louis? sure. Well, I grew up in um, uh, a home that did not have a strong faith influence and faith environment. Uh, great family, hardworking parents, loving parents, very engaged with us. I have uh, two siblings, so very engaged with the kids. We were active when I was first born for the first year or two in a United Methodist Church. Um, I was baptized as an infant in a Methodist Church, but just life circumstances. My mom is a registered nurse, worked a lot of weekends. My dad worked a full career, just became inactive. And then when I, uh, we moved to another part of town in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, when I was around 12 years old, so uh, starting a new school, uh, junior high school, um, you know, new part of town, I got involved in a scout troop that happened to meet in the basement of a Methodist church, and that was my reemergence okay. into the church. And uh, in high school, I, I, I can't just claim this one um, definitive moment where I gave my life to Christ. But over uh, several years of being active in the youth group and active in the church, um, coming to really understand there is this Savior who loves me completely, unconditionally, who gave his life for me, that, you know, at different types of gatherings, uh, um, you know, retreat experiences, uh, conferences that I went to, that I, in, in different degrees of commitment, you know, by the time I was a senior in high school, had given my life fully to Christ. And, and so faith and the church became my, my locus. It was, it was home plate for my life at that time, at a really critical time in my life, uh, where things just kind of revolved around the church for me. And uh, in my senior year of ministry, about that time of coming to a complete uh, commitment in my faith is also around the time I started experiencing a call to ministry. Okay, and so even before going to college, I began the process of exploration and uh, and, and beginning a candidacy process, and started working in local churches. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a real witness to the power of your youth ministry and all the Absolutely. other things of your church to help you go to that probably, point even before even probably before college. A key ingredient I left out there. We had uh, divinity students from Duke, uh, Duke Seminary students, who would work in local churches. And there was a program still going today uh, where the endowment of uh, Duke University provides for those students to work in local churches. Uh, Many times during the summer, sometimes students will work in churches during the semesters. And we would have different seminary students every year. And I remember this uh, feeling of saying, I should consider what they do. These were just real young men and women mm-hmm. who were going into ministry. I had a lot of affiliation with them. They liked sports, uh, you know, many things in common. 
And, uh, you know, that influ- God used that influence in a powerful way to not only shape my faith, <clears throat> but I believe to start planting the seeds of a call. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And then so now that call, eventually you did something about it, mm-hmm. and you ended up in ministry and right. in, uh, in North Carolina and in here and right. in Indiana. And tell us what about your ministry now, about uh, your call to actually imp- uh, imp- application of your ministry. Sure. So I had a great experience when uh, I finished seminary. I got to serve a church in England for a year, Bristol, England. And I remember this, this um, I, I had a chaplain in college who said, listen for your call within the call. Hmm. You're called to ministry. But at some point along the way, you're going to experience this call within the call. And I was in an interview just like this at a radio station because it was the sesquicentennial year of Wesley's conversion, the 250th year. And so they asked me as an American minister to come in and do this interview about what the meaning of that is. And I I just remember sitting there, and and maybe because it was early in the morning, I didn't really think about my response. I said, you know, I don't know that it matters. Mm. Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay. I just said, you know, if all we're doing is remembering what happened in Wesley's life 250 years ago, well, that's, that's important perhaps. But beyond that, I don't know that it has any meaning for us today unless we as a church are clear about the way we're called to help people have their conversion experiences that turn life around mm-hmm. and that the church stays fresh in its mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, I walked out of that studio that day. And I just thought, I think I just learned my call within the call. Mm-hmm. That's my call. I felt like I'm not called to go start a brand new church. I'm not called to do some kind of ministry apart from the local church. My call is to help local churches stay fresh with what it means to live out their mission. So the life transformation part has to be primary. It has to be right there. Right. It cannot be subservient to anything of a whatever yeah. historical or traditional nature it has to be we right still up front. believe that a relationship with jesus christ changes life and and helping people experience that and stay fresh with their own experience of that is so vital and what we do in the church. i love what you're sharing with that about staying fresh give me one example of how you've seen the church stay fresh well i just think about my ministry here i've been at saint luke's now for seven years and we have uh, have done a lot to uh, develop uh, more small groups and more studies and classes where I believe, as, as great as worship experiences might be, it's in those small fellowships where people experience genuine transformation. And mm-hmm. so I just hear all the time uh, people who come into the doors of St. Luke's and get connected with other Christians and experience life-transforming hope. Um, there's, there's one young man, in fact, I used his story as an illustration in a publication that has just come out on the Reformation, um, where he came into this church a couple of years ago out of a strange, bizarre situation where he was wrongly accused of some things. And, um, you know, was never charged. All the charges eventually dropped. But in the meantime, it cost him everything in his life. Sure. cost him his marriage, his home, his career. For a while, he moved away and contemplated taking his life. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and had an experience of faith, uh, got him back in the doors of the church again, and this guy not only has experienced some hope for his life, now he is a Stephen minister. Wow. Now he's leading groups and passing that gift along to other people. So there's, there's one a, example. Yeah, there's almost nothing better when you see a life transformed, especially exactly right. especially when it's been in the pits, right? Right. And right. and that's the and you mentioned about how this life transformation is primary for you, and you mentioned this experience here about this one of your folks here at St. Luke's. And it's key that you said transformation because that is a key part of our mission statement as a church, yep. right? Yeah. Our mission statement as as a church is to make disciples uh, make, go, for the transformation of the world. That's right. Yep. So how are we doing on that? That's my question for you yeah. now. How are we doing on our mission as a church, kind of in a local context right. and in our in our world? Brad, that's that's an excellent question, and um, I am not up to date with all of the statistics, but of course. We hear in the United Methodist Church uh, about the downward spiral of the denomination as a whole, the continued loss of membership and mm-hmm. loss of attendance. And so that is a definite reality. It would look like doom and gloom mm-hmm. from that viewpoint. But the closer you get to local churches and you see the pockets of, of inspiration happening, of life transformation happening. I mean, I just think there's in, there are incredible things going on in lots of local churches around the country that, yeah, that stands in opposition to the denominational statistics that we hear and see, but we are living out the mission well in many places. Now, I know there are a lot of congregations that are dying. Maybe there are many that should. And just mm-hmm. go ahead and <laughs> right. and and shut the doors. Kind of run their course right. in ministry. That's exactly celebrate right. Celebrate that and move on. For Methodism, we've got several challenges. One, we are still predominantly a rural congregation. I don't know if this is true. I heard at one point there were more Methodist churches than post offices right. in the United States. And so a lot of these rural areas where populations themselves have declined, it is really, really hard. On top of that, we're just in a changing trend of society when it comes to church attendance and church involvement. And it's a challenge for everybody. I meet with other pastors of different denominations regularly here in the North Side, and we all talk about that. And and, and I, I think we are in an age that is, uh, is is missionally ripe to say, what does it look like to connect people with that hope because here's what we know people still need hope of course people people some are still desperate some are just looking for encouragement and inspiration and lifting but for whatever reason they have these days it seems like they are often not looking at the church so sure. the church has to change sure. in some ways or another to be yeah more uh, open or right or, or even needs. people who would look to the church just right. aren't as connected as they once were. People mm-hmm. who would say, I'm an active member of such and such church might mean once every seven or eight weeks That's I'm right. actually there. Yeah. And, you know, that, again, reflecting the changing times today, people with kids and the uh, sports activities, you know, uh, other programs that just run through the weekends, uh, you know, this I saw this developing when my kids were small playing soccer. Yes, and the number of tournaments that would be out of town, states away. Yes, um, I've had the same experience. You and I didn't sports. have that when we were kids, probably. And we, and we we know also the explosion of massive sports complexes designed right. for that. Right, 
That's right. Yeah. So it's just a challenging time in general. I think the United Methodist Church uh, really um, defining what does it mean to stay relevant to this culture. Um, and, of course, we've got issues like the divide that's mm-hmm. facing our denomination right now that makes yeah. it even more challenging. Of course. So let's uh, talk about that a little bit because a part of the, I believe, you know, when we talk about some of the contraction of the church, which is happening, it does then emerge that problems come up, come about. Mm-hmm. And, of course, right now we have a real issue in our church. We have a real impasse in our United Methodist Church, and it's uh, primarily over the issues of human sexuality. And we have a general conference coming up in February of 2019, which is going to try to deal with that. I just like, if we call it, the terminology we're using in the church these days is the way forward. Right. Unpack that for us a little bit. What do you feel is the way forward? What does that mean? And just unpack it a little bit. I know there's three different uh, proposals out there. Just talk about that a little bit. So most people listening to the podcast are probably familiar with what the Way Forward Commission is in 2016. Uh, at our general conference, which meets every four years, it was another um, just bitter debate over homosexuality and and fully including and welcoming all people in the church and debates over change to the language in our discipline which says homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. So a very unique proposal came before the floor asking our bishops, who are not members of the general conference, as leaders, to lead us. A lot us. of people don't understand. They don't vote. Right. They do not vote. So they were asked to lead us on this issue and bring a proposal that could provide a way forward. So hence uh, that language. They created a commission to take two years and bring back to the Council of Bishops a recommendation. So a way forward commission was formed. They met over those two years, 2016 to this year, 2018 and uh, brought back three proposals. The one which the bishops have recommended, and when they first made their report back in May, they said it was with overwhelming majority by the Council of Bishops. Well, there was a lot of debate within the Council. Okay. I think some of the reports since have backed off that language of overwhelming majority because 40% of our general conference is made up of uh, Africa alone and the representatives from Africa. So many members of the Council of Bishops are from Africa, which tends to be on a more uh, conservative place position on this issue. So nonetheless, the majority of the bishops said, we approve one of the options that is uh, the church plan or the... uh, the, the one church option, sorry, is the, is the name of it, meaning that we would change some of our restrictive language in the discipline, allow individual congregations to be able to choose whether they would have things like a, a same-sex union marriage performed in their building, allowing their pastor to do that. Conferences would be given the opportunity to decide if they're going to ordain homosexual persons. Um, churches... Conferences that do not want to do that are not going to be forced. So it just allows that that wideness mm-hmm. and that diversity on so this issue without take, making take the everybody tent do the and, same. Uh, so we sometimes talk about a big tent <clears throat> a church big tent, that's right. and just make sure it's big and maybe even get a little bigger. Yeah. I heard somebody ask, if we were to do that, what would, what would be united about United Methodist? Mm-hmm. Because we're doing different things. And I think, well, in some ways it makes us more united than ever that... We can think 
and act differently according to our conscience and still be a part of the same tent, be a part of the same church. Uh, and, and, and my feeling makes us more united than ever. Rather than the same, we all have to think alike. Another option is the traditionalist option that uh, is almost 180 degrees opposite. We will keep our language in the discipline the way it is. And not only that, we are going to enforce to a greater degree accountability that bishops will have to continue abiding by an oath to enforce the discipline. Uh, If a pastor were to violate this covenant and perform a same-sex marriage, um, there will be uh, repercussions if this happens once, and if it happens twice, their credentials Mm -hmm. are to be taken away. So that is a very different picture for the future. So pretty severe responses, really, especially given our history, the last many, many years of... Yeah. Oh, let's, I think we have to be honest. With, many yeah. times it's been tried to overlook it or try to let it yeah. go, go away. Right. But this is a pretty severe response. Yes, yes, it is. So tell and, us a little bit about the third option. Well, the third one is the church conference option, which is, uh, is very unique and probably has the greatest tangles constitutionally to it because it would divide the church up ideologically. Those within the church who... Uh, want to uphold the discipline with restrictive language, those who want the freedom to practice differently. Um, and, and so instead of being a church in a geographic conference, in a geographic jurisdiction, now we are going to be aligned ideologically. And, and like I say, many... And this would be worldwide. Uh, yes, okay. It would Just be. Understand. I mean, this is United Methodism is is global, and so what that so would that would look blur like, a lot of the geolog- geographical type of yeah. lines that we've had. What that would look like in terms of how we would be organized as a church, you know, I I have no idea. Um, sure. But there are many people who say that one that one comes with. Uh, with the greatest challenge in terms of changing the Constitution and probably would be least likely to be approved. So our Judicial Council meets in October, and they are going to be considering, per the recommendation of the Council of Bishops, the requests that are going to be coming before the General Conference to see if any would be ruled out of order or, or would not be approved the way they're, they're written or being proposed. Uh, this is to try to counteract what happened in 2012 mm-hmm. when we made significant changes um, to some of our structure and organization in regard to our, our uh, councils and agencies, and only after the vote was taken that the Judicial Council met and mm-hmm. ruled it all out of order. So, so all that work. It's try- yeah, it's trying to be on the front end of that, but that's what's happening right now. Nonetheless, our bishops have allowed all three options at this point, and of course this could change after October, but right now allowed for all three to be presented to the floor of the special called General Conference in February of 2019 in St. Louis. Um, But are clearly, as a council, doing what they felt like they were asked to do, and that is to make a recommendation. Their recommendation is the one church option. And there are many who feel this would be the best way forward mm-hmm. for the church to allow people who think differently to still be given that opportunity and not be forced to change sure. that can keep our church together, as you say, that would be a big tent. Right. 
Tell me about your take on it now, if you don't mind. Where where do you fall on these three areas? And understanding that probably something totally uh, different, maybe, yeah. and shake it out. Well, I always hate labels because, you know, <laughs> you can put a label on me, but there are going to be places where I don't fit that label. On this issue, I'd be considered progressive. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, fully welcoming all people, regardless of sexual orientation, uh, is biblically right, and it is in the spirit of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Many people would challenge me on that with understandings of the several places in the Bible that uh, speak a very different message mm-hmm. about homosexuality. And while not saying it's a sin at any particular place, um, speaking of it as uh, many would interpret sinful behavior. So I take a different position interpreting scriptures like that. And again, in the spirit of Jesus, feel like it is just a day and time where we are being called as a church to welcome everybody. I believe the generation, certainly the generations coming after us, are going to look at this very differently. Already the next generations are shaking their heads going, we can't believe you're arguing about this. Um, So I take a more progressive position. My church here at St. Luke's, I think, represents where we're trying to go as a denomination because it's a big tent. There are people who think very differently. Sure. And if we were going through some kind of discernment process to decide, are we going to allow gay marriages to be conducted in our building, there would be many people who would speak out against it. I know that. Mm -hmm. I think the majority, though, would say the time has come. Yes. And we would would be one of those churches that would welcome that. Well, let let me ask you this in in terms of what you're sharing here about how every church has going to have to deal with this one form or another, every clergy person, every person who claims to be United Methodist Christians have to deal with this. But the ultimate issue, I think, uh, has to do with what we shared earlier about our mission as a church, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. What are the implications of whatever we do here? What are they going to have to how we actually effectively achieve our mission? What are the implications of how this thing shakes out? Mm -hmm. We've now gotten to a place where uh, the idea of win-win and uh, no repercussions is probably not possible. If we do nothing, that is in some ways going to be a nightmare because we finally got to what felt like a break point in 2016 where we were saying, we can't go on like this. We've got to have a way forward. If we come back in February and say, we're just not accepting any of the options, and we're just going to stay where we are. I think we're just going to see the the uh, the, the challenges, the protests at general conferences raised up that much more. Uh, the traditionalist folks in the church get outraged that bishops aren't upholding the discipline as it stands right now. I think we're going to see more violations if we don't do anything. Right. If we approve the one church option as the bishops call for, my feeling is that's going to be the greatest healing, unifying factor for the whole denomination. Because my, my personal two cents about this is average lay person in the United Methodist Church, if given a chance to speak, and that's my concern here, how do we let the pew mm-hmm. have a vote and what goes on that determines their future in the denomination? That most people would say, now wait, let me get this right. 
my church as a whole feels this way about this issue. And you're telling me that if we approve this one church option, that another church that thinks and feels differently can do that, but we don't have to change? We don't have to uh, do things differently, whether it's to start allowing gay marriages or, or not. That if we are allowed to continue as we are and feel some ownership in that, that it's going to keep the church from splitting apart, possibly facing fighting over our assets as a denomination and the ownership of our mission agencies, our hospitals, our schools, and so forth, that we don't have to go through divorce court in the denomination. I just think the average person will go, well, yeah, I'll vote for that. Yeah. I, I can allow other people in the denomination to think differently if we don't have to go through that kind of separation. Yeah. Think about what is possible and what can happen instead of with the ugly alternative, which right. can get, you know, we can imagine it can get really pretty ugly. Right. So. so even if we do that, yes, I think there will be some who leave, who just say we can't, we almost, can't be in a church. It's almost inevitable, isn't it, Rob? I, I, I'm afraid so. Yeah, I'm afraid so. It seems so. that way. And it could be extreme on, on both sides, uh, uh, progressive and traditional. I, I think that could well be the case. Um, if we go with the traditionalist model that not only keeps our language the way it is in the discipline, but we are going to increase our accountability, um, I think that is going to cause a big fallout from the vast center of the denomination. So, you know, we could be looking at the formation of a different denomination and churches that pull away from the United Methodist Church now. I would hope that wouldn't be the case. Right. I would like to see as minimal fallout as possible, and that's why I believe the one church option is going to be best. Do you have any just kind of feel how it's going to turn out? You know, I, I hear regularly from people in different parts of the country uh, who are engaged at this matter from totally different places, some in our agencies, some uh, local church pastors, uh, delegates to general conference, um, you know, people involved in other aspects of the church. And there are just some who say they're afraid nothing's going to change, but I'm starting to get more comments and reports where people are believing that the bishop's recommendation is going to be approved by the General Conference. Okay. And I, I certainly hope so that will we'll be see. the case. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. You know, in this whole process, it's been uh, gut-wrenching in many ways, but I want to ask you, what's your thoughts on how, if a United Methodist clergy or lay person who's listening to this wants to have some sort of a voice yeah. or an impact, or so, how can they get involved? How can they be make, make sure. their voice heard? I think one way is to communicate with their delegates who will be going to vote from their annual conference. Uh, most annual conferences on their website uh, list who their lay and clergy delegates are. And I think they can, I th different conferences and their delegations have different means for communication. I think some conferences have websites for their delegation as a whole. Others, you can get the individual contact information of those delegates. But I think to just communicate and to say, listen, this is what I believe. This is what I feel. Um, you know, personally, we've asked our bishops to do something. And I feel like we should be saying to our United Methodists, let's support our bishops. 
Let's support our leaders. They're leading us in this effort. They're doing what they were asked to do. This is something that could hold the church together. Let's hold the church together. Cool. Let me ask you one more thing here. Recently, I had the opportunity to meet with a young pastor who's planning a new church. And I also met with a young man in, in my church who's considering going into ministry. He's yeah. in his 20s. And uh, in my conversation with both of these uh, folks, good conversations, great heart, great talent, mm-hmm. great energy. And yet I just kind of, I'm kind of concerned about the state of our church moving forward for them to, as they enter that process. Right. I'd like for you to just kind of speak to folks like that. Young people or people just kind of starting off in the church, maybe even just a new Christian in one of our churches. What's a sign of hope? Where are we going here? What's, yeah. what's God doing in this whole process? Yeah. Well, you know, regardless of whether we're facing a debate like this in the church, we have to distinguish we're not called to preserve an institution. That's right. We're called to preserve the cause of Christ and not just preserve it, advance it. Mm-hmm. And the harvest is ripe. There are people who need hope. They need the hope of the gospel. Um, you know, my call within the call was seeing the local church stay fresh with that spirit and mission. Um, but Jesus isn't limited to denominations. And if it doesn't happen through the United Methodist Church, God will raise up other means for God's mission to be carried out faithfully. And, you know, I feel like the last thing we really need are leaders of an institution. We need leaders of the mission of the church and the cause of Christ. And I believe finding more people who have that heart and spirit will be the hope of the United Methodist Church. And it kind of me back to that interview. That's right. 20 some years ago, 30 years ago now, mm-hmm. that the hope of the United Methodist Church is being willing to die and say, preserving our future is not our call. Our call is Christ. And by letting go of just keeping things as they are, we might discover the future God has for us. How about that? That's pretty Christological, to die in order to live. That's right. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Rob, for for being with us on the United Methodist uh, People podcast today. Reverend Rob Fuquay from St. Luke United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Thank you, Rob. I want to say a great big thank you to Reverend Rob Fuquay from St. Luke's United Methodist Church in in Indianapolis for being our guest on the United Methodist People podcast. I really got a lot out of our conversation. I I know that you did too. Uh, He's really got a way with words, a way with with writing as well. His his book, The New New Reformation, and that resource is one that we didn't spend a lot of time on, but I certainly would commend it to you and we'll put some information about that in our show notes but let's talk for just a second about some takeaways from our conversation with rob and how it might apply to your situation in in your life i hope you heard that how he was so influenced in his local church growing up by youth group and by retreats and by by the various aspect of ministry to serve youth and that's just an important thing isn't it that we need to be, be aware about that and really how he was entering I uh, made a call, felt a call to ministry even as a high school student. Let's not neglect our young people. We have, we live in a changing time right now, but we got so many talented and powerful and, and intuitive young people 
who uh, may have a call in leaning towards ministry, ministry that needs to be encouraged. He also about how, talked about how seminary students were influential on him as well and how that's that being influenced by good things happening in our seminaries as well. Let's think about that. I was uh, caught uh, interested in his conversation we had about when he served a church in England and was on a radio interview, and he said he had a call within a call. And in the midst of that radio interview, he felt this sense of call that the uh, the local church, his call was to help the local church stay fresh in Christ. And the historical aspects of the church, they're important to be sure, but it doesn't really matter if we're not fresh in Christ right now. And that was the theme of our conversation. And that's a theme, I think, that can stay with us, to stay fresh in Christ. Talked about how that was embodied in, in ministry in the local church. He talked in particular about one particular person, a young man whose life was transformed, and seeing that life transformation take place is just a tremendous thing. We talked about how are we doing in our United Methodist Church on the topic of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And, and Rob, uh, Rob and I talked a little bit about, yeah, yeah, we have some struggles in our church. The rural church is suffering in many ways. We have a loss of membership. We have a, so, uh, you know, a loss of, uh, of uh, attendance in our churches. However, he did point to some pockets of life transformation taking places in certain places, and that's a good, a good thing. We need to build on that point of hope that we need to, to do that. But it has to be, to be with how are we relevant in our culture right now and how there's so, so many challenges to that and how these challenges in our culture are embodied also in our conversation we had about the way forward. Uh, Rob unpacked for us the three different proposals that are on the table as we speak here in August of 2018 about the um, the uh, the traditional model and about the one church plan and about the conference plan, the conference uh, plan, um, the conference plan emphasizing the ideological differences of our church, the traditional plan uh, emphasizing accountability to the discipline, the way it's written, and the one church plan being one that allows individual congregations to open, to make their own decisions regarding uh, the issues of, of homosexuality and diversity, and in his view, expands the tent, makes our tent a little bigger. And so that was really where uh, Rob comes down in terms of his emphasis is this, is that we can uh, see our tent as being a little bit bigger in our church. And he made the point, which I thought was interesting, but he believes that the average layperson would really like to avoid divorce court if we can, that if we can make our own decisions and avoid being uh, uh, casting people out, that would be a good thing in, for most most people, most of our United Methodist lay people. And I, I resonate with that thought uh, quite a bit as well. And he also emphasized that our bishops have, have endorsed the one church model uh, solidly. And he emphasized supporting our bishops in that. And as much as our church has asked our bishops to make their recommendations and to make a stand and support our bishops in keeping our church together. Rob and I talked about signs of hope, and this is an important part of our conversation. I hope that you'll take this. They were not really called to preserve an institution, but to advance the call of Christ. And so this call to keep the, the church fresh in terms of 
making new disciples of Jesus Christ is really what we're about, that, that, that Jesus is not confined. Jesus' work of Jesus is not constrained by two denominations. And the Hope United Methodist Church is that we have to be willing to die in order to live. Some great things there that he shared in our conversation. Take them to heart, and we're going to put some some connections to Rob's ministry at St. Luke's and to his publications, his books and resources in our show notes. What we're here to do here on the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller is provide you you, the local church, United Methodist person, lay person, clergy person, person who loves our church and believes that we have a future to strengthen the connection. Now, I'm very aware that things are changing and there will probably be, uh, you know, some significant changes in February after February of 2019. But our call should still constantly be to call to help make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And to be distracted from that is to pull us away from our major our major cause, to keep the main thing the main thing. So what I'm here about, United Methodist People podcast, is to help strengthen the connection through conversation and commentary. So I invite you to go to our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com, and there you'll see some of our other episodes. We've been featuring, for instance, a number of, of conversations with our United Methodist bishops. Those are fascinating conversations. I invite you to go and listen to the bishops speak at unitedmethodistpodcast.com. You can also go there and get a resource. It's called the Wesleyan Way. You can just put in your email and sign up for our newsletter where we update you when things are happening in the podcast. And you can get a resource called the Wesleyan Way, a PowerPoint presentation you can use in your church as a resource. We're here for you and to listen to learn. If you've got comments, you can leave us comments on our website. You can also subscribe. You can also go to iTunes and it helps us, if you like what you hear, to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a rating. Five stars would be great, but whatever you feel is appropriate. And then a, uh, then a review, which is a line or two there on the field there in iTunes. It's very helpful. It helps other people find us. And we certainly invite you to share the good word about United Methodist People podcast. Uh, in your network, social media and otherwise. We are also on Facebook at, uh, at facebook.com slash United Methodist uh, Podcast. And so we invite you to go there as well. We post our episodes there as well. Uh, my name is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. I'm a local church pastor in Indianapolis area. Love to hear from you and know that we are here to help serve our beloved United Methodist Church as we continue to just simply do all the good we can, right? Let's follow the example of our of our, of our founder, John Wesley, who said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as long as ever you can. Thanks so much for listening to the United Methodist People Podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. You can continue the conversation and commentary about strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church to accomplish our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Visit the United Methodist People podcast on the web at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect at facebook.com slash unitedmethodistpodcast. And always do all the good you can.